0: Head on over to morgandwilliams.com newsletter and putting your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now let's start today's show. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with a B2B sales veteran. He's had the opportunity to work for both Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes selling their training programs. He has a wealth of wisdom and knowledge on selling and optimizing sales processes. If you're looking for insight into how to grow revenue throughout your sales process and not just the beginning, you'll get a lot out of this episode. I'll see you on the other side.
1: What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years, and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast. As for you, each week he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome, Welcome to, to Outbound, outbound Metrics. Metrics. Doug Brown
0: is the CEO of Business Success Factors. Business Success Factors specializes in helping CEOs, business owners, and companies to optimize sales processes while dramatically increasing revenues. Doug, it's a pleasure to have you on the
2: show. How are you doing? Morgan, I'm doing great and thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. Awesome, you ready to dive in? Let's dive in. (laughs) All right. How does Business
0: Success Factors get results for its clients?
2: Well, we get results in a multitude of ways, but the main one is we produce revenue growth for the companies. Not only do we produce revenue growth, but we usually increase their profitability because we're optimizing everything on and along the cycle of revenue growth as it pertains to their whole customer journey. Awesome. And what would you say makes business success factors unique or different? Well, we don't take on anyone. We make our clients actually qualify more so than, you know, we're trying to qualify ourselves. And the reason behind that is because we're really looking for a minimum five to one ROI when we take on a client, Mm -hmm. we like to get 10 to one because it's really, you know, I mean, if somebody gets, usually if they get three to one, they're happy as can be, you know, so we try to over achieve in that regard. And so, you know, we're very particular about how many clients or who we actually take as a client. We won't take them unless we have a very high probability we know we can get them results. Awesome. And do you have packages or are you custom pricing? Uh, we custom price pretty much everything. It just depends on what the company needs and what they want, you know, what they're looking to get as an end goal. Uh, we've worked with companies that, you know, wanted to add an extra million dollars. I mean, I've worked with companies that wanted to add an extra $50 million. Usually the, it's a different game. So sure. And who is your ideal customer? That client that has usually 10 salespeople and above, 15 million in revenue and above, usually doing a kind of a high profit type program. Uh, Companies that want to also maybe sell into large accounts, far larger than they could ever dream to sell into those (laughs) accounts that are returning five to one on their regular accounts. And in the client who's pretty much frustrated by the way their sales... Are running today and they're either they know what the issues are or they don't know what the issues are uh, either or is is pretty ideal for us awesome let's go into
0: this example case study you have for us today and can you give the audience you have a very unique background i just want to do a quick background on your experience in sales and and what's led up to
2: this campaign you're bringing us to today sure do you want me to kind of give my background
0: yeah yeah that'll work
2: So I started at the age of three working for my father's (laughs) business. (laughs) Literally, I did. And I swept floors 25 cents a week, had a lot of money for candy because it was penny candy back then. And we started uh, actually working with clients. My father put us out right out on the front uh, lines when we were about five and a half to six years old, we had to start communicating with clients mm-hmm. and we were selling them and filling orders. Now I still don't know whether today, cause I never had the chance to ask my dad, you know, was this a needed labor or were you trying to teach us something? But <laughs> what ended up happening was, you know, I got the sales bug and the leverage bug pretty quickly because it's really cool when you're a young guy and you're making way more than, you know, your teachers at school and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> things like that. Right. So I looked at it as leverage. I wanted to always stay in the leverage field. That's why sales appealed to me, as well as being able to help people. And so, you know, my life kind of progressed on from there where I've built a lot of businesses while I was in school. I used to get out of school at 1030, 11 o'clock in the morning, go work for my dad, and then build my own business above and beyond that. So I did a multitude of those all the way through high school and through college. Then I figured one day, well, geez, I probably ought to get serious about life and not because entrepreneurs have that up and down thing. So yeah. I went to work for a corporation and I became the number one sales rep out of 315 in the company. Along that time, I sort of was getting a little tired of that industry. So somebody kind of introduced me to the training industry and that's how I ended up getting into the training industry. And I became president of sales for, for Chet Holmes and then Tony Robbins and Russ Whitney and different people and in, in the industry. As I was working with all their clients and the client bases that I had, I came to understand that the big thing that most companies were missing was not that they desired to have sales, but they really didn't have sales process. They didn't have a systematic, duplicatable, replicatable process that they could measure against, i.e. optimize against. And so that's kind of how it all came about. And I've worked with thousands of companies over my life. So I've seen some good, I've seen some bad, and I've seen some great.
0: Awesome.
2: Let's uh, let's get into this campaign.
0: We'd love to hear some background on it. The client you're working with. Yeah.
2: It's actually a, a software company uh, in the wireless space and okay. they do wireless optimization. So I like to use a mixture of a sales cadence. So we'll go out with like LinkedIn, we'll go out with phone calls, we'll go out with text messages, we'll go out with email. And we, I like to use a combination of them, but instead of going after the masses, what, I tend to focus my clients on is let's go after, you know, what Chet Holmes used to call the dream 100 clients. So who is your ideal client? Who's your ideal buyer that you really want? And so we construct a list based on that. And in this case, we came up with a list of 500. So the 500 dream clients, if you will. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to shift their model to a more leveraged model. They had an inside sales team. But when we talked, I would say I gently and... (laughs) mentioned to them that they should have an outside independent sales team as well. And so, i.e. build an agency program. And so, we did that. These Dream 500 were really geared toward building the agency program. So, we went out originally with LinkedIn with 500 contacts. We sent those out. We did a combination of LinkedIn uh, phone calls and email to start out. And, you know, we ended up in our first run doing, you know, out of the 500, we got a 25% response rate from everybody. Because when you, what we found is when you use multimodality like that, some people are on LinkedIn, some people are not, some people prefer to have a phone call, you know, some people even text. So we got a 25% response rate or 125 responses. We ended up with a 33% meeting rate because what we did is Instead of just trying to put out a message, we really wanted to build a relationship. And so we came at it right from the relationship component of it. At the end of that, we ended up with a 50% close rate. So out of the first run, we got 125 responses. We had 42 meetings and we had 21 new clients for these folks. And so then we went, yeah, we went back at it again and again. Second time we got uh, 375 people. We went out to the same people, by the way. And uh, we got a 10% response rate from the second round. So we ended up with 38 responses. We ended up with a 32% meeting rate at that point. So we ended up with 12 and we ended up with another six clients. But these were super nice, big clients for these people. And so what happened was within, it was under two months. It was about 22 months. They grew by $4 million just in this one channel. So this two rounds
0: generated 4 million.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they continue to keep going back at it today. And the interesting thing is, you know, when I first talked to them about, you know, building an indirect channel, they were like, well, I'm really not sure how to do it. And I said, I know how to do it. So, you know, would you like me to help you? And they said, yes, but today the majority of their business, what they have found is they can have an indirect channel, which is now the majority of their business in a smaller direct channel. So they were able to cut overhead Mm. and increase their profitability at the same time.
0: Gotcha. Questions on that. This is really interesting. The
2: agency program.
0: Can you go into what exactly that consisted of how that program made sales?
2: Yeah. So almost every industry, not everyone, but almost every industry can use outside uh, independence, right? There are people Mm -hmm. who are just out there looking to build either in the case of a SaaS business, you know, recurring revenue, But even the manufacturers representatives or something like that, a lot of them are independents, but most companies don't know how to build that indirect channel. So they don't really have a tight focus in going after that. And so the independent channel is built similar to a direct channel, but to understand that you're not dealing with employees, you're dealing with people who are actually self-employed. So the mindset is different and the support system is different. They need a lot of love and a lot of attention. And, and they do business with people because of relationship, not because, you know, just of commission programs. They're not employees. They're looking at this as, okay, how do I leverage in my business too? If you start out with that premise and that's what we did, and then you construct the list around, okay, what are you ideally looking for in a, we'll call it an agency partner, if you don't mind. hmm and then you construct the messaging around that once you understand what their fears wants, not you know desires, needs are. And then it's just a matter of really going after the one hundred to five hundred people that you want to go after. And sometimes it's fifty. you know it just depends on the type of industry that you're looking at. Uh, once you go after those people, it's all about building a relationship, and all sales really is. But in this case, you really have to build that trust that like, that respect, because they're looking for a safe place because they put their trust in the company that they're actually doing business with. Absolutely.
0: So these were maybe not exactly contract salespeople, but people with existing relationships in that industry who may have a client base that could use your
2: client's uh, Yeah, without question. And so that's part of the, when your clients construct a dream list. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at an agency, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, who can actually have the reach that I'm looking for? And once you build that relationship, I mean, it's usually long term too. Mm-hmm. So most agents do not like to switch between one provider and another provider if they don't have to. So as long as they're being treated with decency, respect, and the care that is needed, it can be very, very profitable. I mean, that company that I went and was employed by, and got, you know, top rep out of 315, we had a super huge agency channel. It Mm. dwarfed, dwarfed the inside sales team. You know I mean? You know, and that company actually grew to over a billion dollars and then eventually sold off at 2 billion. Wow. How did you find these agents? I want to go into specifics into each piece of this. Well, LinkedIn is where we started. Yeah. Right. Because you can identify... Many, many facets of what you might want in an agent base with LinkedIn. And then we also have some outboarded type programs that we can, you know, rip data or have data taken so we can find these people. But a lot of times they're there on online. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, we qualified in this case, we knew this being a wireless industry, that if we went after, say, telecommunications agents that were already selling wireline services. Mm-hmm. And wireless was the new and upcoming thing that had been up and coming for a while, but most of the agents weren't involved in it yet because they really haven't found a really a trusted home. So, mm-hmm. you know, we went after those and a lot of these people, they may have had, you know, what we call phone vendors. They might've had a base of 2000 clients that they've been taking care of their phone systems for two years. Yeah. So it's an easy walk-in once you establish the relationship and they trust you because when you walk through the door, you're part of their reputation Right. So that's the thing too. If you're going to have uh, indirect reps, you got to take care of their client base, like Mm -hmm. beyond nice. And one of the keys in doing that is you tell the agent, look, I'm not looking for your whole base. What I'd like to do is we want to take one test account.
1: Mm -hmm. Let me
2: prove to you how good we actually are and how your clients will rave about us. And so when you come at it from that point of view, you overservice the client, the agent is comfortable, and it's like, well, let's do one more. Agent gets more comfortable. Let's do one more. Agent gets more comfortable. Now would you like to talk about opening up something bigger?
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And that was what my next question was going to be, was how do you build that trust and how does that, like starting with that messaging, getting that agent on the phone, so... Uh, was that like a call to action in your messaging? Well, maybe not the one account, but how did you open that conversation within what copy did you use? So
2: very simple, right? A lot of times people are trying to construct (laughs) copy that is really more what, what people would call sales slick, right? Sure. So the reality is that when you're building an independent channel, they're not interested in the pomp and circumstance of, of everything. What they're interested in is human connections. So we come out with a message that's very short and says, here's what we do. We think that you might, we might be a good fit for you. Are you open to having a discussion just to discover whether or not this makes sense or not? So that's kind of the gist of the message. And believe it or not, I mean, most people are very open to that. Now, there's one other thing that we did. We researched these people prior to, and we threw something in that was kind of personal. Like, hey, I see you went to Washington State University, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Whatever it might be to connect with these people, or maybe on their profiles, you know, on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever they were, maybe they have something where they're promoting a charity or something like that. And Mm -hmm. you just kind of mention something personal that they can relate to because that separates you out. And sure. once once you establish that, it's just a matter of just being genuine and using humor too. That's a big one. Right. Okay. So the the humor that's acceptable. You know, you stay away from the normal, you know, don't talk about spouse jokes, don't go yeah. into religion, <laughs> don't go into politics, right? Right.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. I like that. I'm seeing, you know, I've talked to people about this out at least weekly, right? And mm-hmm. I'm seeing more of this shift back towards simple messaging, just being simple human connection. I think the, all the automation has proliferated so many messages and people just want human connection
2: now. So just keeping it simple and getting that in front of people. Yeah. And I think in you know, 2021, more so than ever, people are definitely you know craving for connection because Let's face it, most of us have been locked away for the last six, right. seven, eight months, right? So, and the reality is, is people right now, and I think people in general, <clears throat> general, they've always wanted genuine communication, but, you know, some marketing companies or whatever got slick on the online side, figuring, hey, we can, you know, utilize, you know, direct copy, which works. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, on the B2B side, you know, especially in the in the client size we're talking about, you know or even the Million Dollar Up Company, they're too down busy right now to read through long copy emails, most of them. And they'll delete them or they'll scan them or they'll never get to the end a lot of times. But with a short copy piece, Mm -hmm. you get their attention because it's, and you better say what you got to say right away. Right. Get that attention immediately Mm -hmm. and get them to engage with it.
0: Awesome. I'd love to hear any more specific examples you have about how you optimize
2: revenue inside of accounts, points of leverage. The first thing that I do is we get very clear on what the truthful goals are of the company. Because a lot of times companies, they have these grandiose goals, but they don't have the interior operational support, right? Or Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about going safety first and then stable second, right? So if they're safe, and stable, great. We can scale them. But if they're not, we want to optimize and fix that to make sure that they're stable in the in the middle part, because a lot of companies can scale up too fast and it will actually not be a benefit to them. Mm. But what we do is we look at everything along the customer journey. So once we get not honest, but truthful about what is the clear objective of growth, then what we do is we take an assessment to figure out, okay, where are you? you know. And once we figure out where are you, are there any impedances? Are there blind spots? Are there Anything that's going on that if you start to scale, it things don't, you know, your airplane doesn't come flying apart in mid-air type thing. So once we cross that, then we have a growth plan that's set out. So a lot of times we're looking at things that companies are quite frankly, they're overlooking. Something as simple as, all right, how many clients do you have today? How many did you have over the last five years who are either dormant or are not doing business with you any longer? and when's the last time you engaged with them? Many companies are not, once their client stops, they kind of forget about them, right? Mm, Um, So go back and re-engage that base. You'll immediately pick up a business because they already have trust, they already know you, they may have had a different need now than they had before, whatever it might be. So we look from, okay, what's sitting there like that and then we look at every little metric going through, okay? So for example, if we sent out X amount of marketing pieces, how many of those pieces actually got a response? And how many of those got a response that got a call? And we look at what is the success path along the way. And then we start adjusting all of these metrics in between. And I can give you an example. I had a client that they were an online company. They had a lot of salespeople and they generating a lot of leads. But when they generated a lead, it would go to the sales queue. And 62% of the time, the salesperson was not following up with that lead mm, at all. Wow. Right. And they were generating thousands of leads a week. And so what ended up happening was I went back to the owner of the company and I said, hey, I looked at all of your numbers. You have a static close rate. If you get them into stage, out of stage zero into stage one, and then out of one into two, You've got a static close rate across the board, but 62% of your leads are not getting into stage one. Right. So, you know, he told me I was crazy. So I showed him all the numbers <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was doing 48 million a year. I mean, he was a smart guy. Mm-hmm. And um, when he looked at the numbers, he's like, we got to fix this. I'm like, yep. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the first month they cut that ratio down by 50%. Wow. And then we kept working on that ratio. And then we started working on the other ratios that were kind of either lagging or not there. And literally in two years, the company went from 48 million to 110 million. Wow. And they didn't increase their lead flow much to actually do that. They added more salespeople on as they increased their lead flow. Wow. What's one thing you did with them I'd like to help bring that down? We tied compensation to response time.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> That'll do it. I love that. Incentives. And we, and-
2: yeah incentives and also accountability that's the other thing because we publicly announced hey this is what's going on and so what we would do is in their they use like a slack channel so in their channel every day we were reporting you got this many leads this many leads have been followed up this has not how come right mm-hmm. or you know you had this many leads this you know you followed up on 100% of them congratulations, you're a champion, right? Mm -hmm. And so what would happen is public knowledge was going out there. And then we just told people, look, if you don't do this by this ratio, then what we're going to do is release you and we'll push Mm -hmm. your leads to someone else. So there was accountability as well as changing the incentive plan to give them higher percentage when they push those leads through in the beginning.
0: Awesome. Is there anything you've been surprised that worked before? Like something you weren't (laughs) expecting or something that a client was already
2: doing or or anything like that? About 10,000 things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I never see system amaze me, even when we do something, you know, a lot of times I'm focused more on the offline prospecting. We do online as well, but even things as simple as like putting ads in certain places, right? We always hope, pray that Mm -hmm. it's going to work out. I've been surprised a lot of times just how, Just putting an ad out there and just adjusting one word in the copy Mm, wow, can pull huge response rates. So it never ceases to amaze me. And even when I was younger, one of the businesses I started, I was 19 years old. And my friend came to me and said, hey, why don't we start a landscaping company? And I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. You know, we got a couple others. (laughs) And so we started this landscaping company, borrowed a little money, bought all this landscaping equipment. And so I wrote an ad and it's basically was back then it was two guys in a truck. We'll, you know, weed, seed, lawn, do everything, mm-hmm. edges, whatever. They had like six words left that in the ad and we'll also do cleanouts. Now I grew up in Massachusetts. So in March, there's still snow on the ground. So it's not a lot of landscaping mm-hmm. business, but I figured, yeah, well, let's put the ad in and let's see if we can book ourselves for the spring. Well, the phone ran off the hook for the last, for the next two weeks. And we literally booked from... The end of March, all the way through November, we had two weekends off on that. And what wow. happened was 99% of the calls that came in were for cleanouts. So wow. we ended up becoming a cleanout company that did landscaping versus a landscaping company that did cleanouts. <laughs> and in fact, we had brand new landscaping equipment at the end of the year we never even used. Wow. Outstanding.
0: Last question I have for you here What do you B2B SaaS companies focus on in 2021?
2: when it comes to increasing revenue? Massive prospecting. Mm. (laughs) Massive prospecting. Because what's happened in 2020, and it's not the company's fault, but what's happened in 2020 with the up and down, you know, between the the election, between the COVID-19, between all of the things is companies have had to focus a little bit more on two things. One, employee safety, number one. And number two, managing an ever changing budget path if you will because all of a sudden it's funny my daughter said to me we're looking at some trying to get some pr going on on part of the company here she's taking it over and she's like dad every 6 minutes there's a crisis yeah right <laughs> <You know? laughs> so but massive prospecting the reason behind that is generally what most companies start pulling back on when they get a little fearful is marketing and sales sure right So if a company is intelligent about it, that they'll realize there's openings there that they could push forward. And so when they do massive prospecting, when this turns around and it will, it's not the first challenge we've had in life. I mean, we've had 9-11, AIDS, SARS, MERS, you know, you name it. Mm what ends up happening, though, is the people who have pulled themselves back, who might have even been industry leaders, companies will emerge when they do massive prospecting because they're constantly building relationships all the way through the process, and they're keeping top of mind awareness. So when budgets free up or there's an opportunity, they'll traditionally call that person who's been in touch with them. I love it. If you're listening to this and interested in contacting Doug,
0: speaking with him, you can check him out at Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com or check out his website, businesssuccessfactors.com. Doug, it's been a
2: pleasure having you on the show. Morgan, thank you for having me here. It has actually been a pleasure on my end too. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye now.
0: Doug has decades of experience selling at the highest levels, and anyone listening should take close notes on how he thinks about revenue optimization. Look, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.